know you're wondering why Dean is holding a bat right now while he's speaking. Uh, I, I get to travel all over and I do what we call feats of strength in order to get the attention of my crowd because I'm a real evangelist. I preach to lost people. And so when I speak in Major League Baseball locker rooms or in prison yards, high school assembly programs, um, how many of you know, it, you can't just walk in there and talk about Jesus and everyone wants to hear what you have to say, but if you can meet them on some place of common ground and, and get their attention, now you have their respect, they'll, they'll want to hear what you have to say. And as we know, the message we have to share is one when people begin to hear it, they want it. And um, so... I travel all over. I'll um, do things now. I was going to break a bat today, but because Pastor Rob over there encouraged me, I went out and I got a 7-Up can. And so I normally wouldn't do this on a Sunday morning service. I'm wearing my nice shirt today. And, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, Pastor Rob made a request, and I'm just going to let you know in advance that if you're in the first couple of rows, you are in the splash zone. And if you haven't been water baptized, you may want to come down. This can be your opportunity. But right now, I want to take this soda can. Uh, I don't have nails, as a matter of fact, Pastor Rob, because I bite them. I'm a nail biter. Any nail biters? Thank you. Yes. And uh, so I'm a nail biter. I have no nails. But I am going to squeeze on this can until it breaks in half. Uh, You may wonder, what gave you the idea to even do this? I was in Cambodia with one of my teammates in 2009, and we were going there to rescue children that were being sold in human trafficking. And we were doing a lot of outreach, and we were having trouble finding things that we could break while we were there. And so I saw a soda can, and we thought, what if we could squeeze that until it explodes in half? That'd be pretty cool. And so I got a soda can. I went into the shower in my hotel room, and I began to squeeze on that can. And sure enough, it burst in half, and it's become one of the favorites of our athletes uh, when we explode the soda cans. And so it's going to be one of your favorites this morning, especially those of you here in the front row. And so right now, I'm going to take this soda can Uh, I'm going to squeeze it in half. Now, I know we're in church, and I know they say the three quietest places in the world are a library, an elevator, and a church, but I think the church can make noise because noise is a sign of life. So can you help me with a countdown from 10? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, That one got more on me than it did on them. It, re- it was a reverse splash. It got on me. That was for you, Pastor Rob. Now I'm wet. And, but I, I, I want you to know that was Diet 7-Up. You say, well, do you do that to stay in shape? No, I do it so your nice carpet doesn't get sticky. Like water hitting the carpet. So we're all good. I um, have made a mess up here, but... <laughs> okay. It's okay to have fun in church. You know, I, I, was in, uh, I was in Ireland in 2015, and just before I left there, I felt the Lord put this word in my heart called uncommon. And when I heard this word uncommon, I just paused, and, and I, I just kind of asked the Lord, I said, what do you mean by uncommon? He said, I created you to live an uncommon life in a common world. And then he brought the scriptures to mind because a word from God always has to be backed up with the scriptures. Yes, amen. And so he began to remind me that we're peculiar people, that we're aliens, we're in the world, we're not of the world, we're different. We should show ourselves different 
when we're out in this world. And in such a way that when someone sees us from a distance, they should kind of tilt their head. And when they see the way we act, when they hear the way we talk, what comes out of our mouth, uh, the way that we treat people with kindness, with respect, and there should be something about us that the world sees as being uncommon. And at the same time, it should cause them to want to get closer to us because it's a good thing. It's Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, and, and, and Moses who's spent 40 years hiding, running from God and 40 years hiding from God. And now at 80 years old, he's about to encounter God for himself. And he does that through the form of the burning bush. The burning bush, the Bible says, it had a fire that was burning from the inside and it could not be put out. It made Moses say in one of the translations of the Bible from a distance, he said, this I've got to see. And when he got close enough to it, he heard the voice of the Lord and the Lord said, you're going to be used to set my people free. Moses at 80 years old was called to change the world. How many know at 80 years old, he's not called to change the world. He's called to change his depends. Moses is 80 years old, and he receives the call of God. And I believe that when we come in the presence of God, he does not just want us to come into his presence for a feel-good moment and go back to living a mundane Christianity. I believe God, when we meet with him and we're in his presence, he wants to call us to a place of action. He wants to put a call of God on our life and a thing called purpose. 87% of the world says they believe they were born for a reason. Only 13% say they know what that reason is. So if I Google what is my purpose, there's in about four-tenths of a second, about two billion resources will pop up on Google of books and seminars and, and, and resources to help me identify my purpose. The problem the world doesn't understand is that you'll never know your destiny until you meet the God who determined it. And so my purpose, everything I was built to do, I'm already equipped to do it. It's all in my inventory. So instead of looking to the outward to find what is my purpose, I look inside and I find what is my passion? What brings me alive? What causes me to sit up taller when I talk about it? What causes my hands to begin to move and my voice begin to have some feeling to it when I talk about it? Those are keys to my purpose. And so really everything I need to do to live the life God created me for is already inside of me. So could it be the problem we have in this world of walking in purpose is because we're all too busy trying to be like somebody else? See, I'll never live the life I'm called to live until I become comfortable being the person I was created to be. You're born an original, don't die a copy. And so today, I want to talk to you about this uncommon life. As a matter of fact, I want a message today called, I am uncommon. Can we say it together? I am uncommon. I want to live this uncommon life. As a matter of fact, I don't want to just be an uncommon person in a common world. I want to be an uncommon Christian in a very common Christianity. And I believe that would be all of our hearts today, if we were honest. I don't want to just blend in. I want to stand out. I want to do something great while I'm here, because one day I will die. We all have an appointment with death. And on that grave marker, there will be three items, the date I was born, the date that I died, and a small dash in between. And that tiny little dash is going to represent my entire, what we might call legacy, left in this earth. What am I leaving behind in this earth that's going to make the next generation do something greater than I could have ever dreamed of? And so the word uncommon, it means unusual, rare, above the ordinary, remarkable, exceptional, and then my favorite definition, not ordinarily encountered. When people 
come into my presence, I like to think I'm someone they have not ordinarily encountered. I believe when I walk into a room, revival is happening. People say we need to pray for revival. I don't like that when people say that around me because my response is the revival showed up when I got here. I got revived October 20th, 2004, and everywhere I go since then, I am walking revival. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are a walking revival at your workplace, at school, young people, everywhere you go. And it's not about memorizing enough scriptures or having the theology. It's it's about having a story, a testimony of what God has done in our life, and when we share it, Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. When you share your testimony, the truth of what Jesus has done, whether you're knowing it or not, the spirit of prophecy is coming out, and underneath your voice, there is something happening in the spirit that's communicating to that hearer, if God can do it for Dean, he can do it for me. And that's why when you finish with conversations with people, when you're sharing your testimony, the the unbeliever will walk away saying, I'm feeling something I've never felt before. Well, what they're saying is, I'm experiencing the presence of God. Please explain that to me. That's what they're saying. And now you can tell them that Jesus died for them so they can live. So I want to talk out of Daniel chapter 3 today. I'm not going to read the story for sake of time, but I am going to give a backdrop on Daniel chapter 1 because we can't understand chapter 3 until we understand Chapter 1. In chapter 1, King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon, which we call today modern-day Iraq. He commanded the most powerful military army to this point on the face of the earth. On around 605 BC, Babylon invaded Jerusalem and their armies penetrated its walls, raided the temple, removed its precious furnishings, and burned it to the ground. The Babylonians then led thousands of Jewish captives back to Babylon to serve as slaves to the state. And among these slaves were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And just before all this happened, it appeared as though God himself had lost. Now just imagine the sense of defeat. The Babylonians had won. But the greatest miracles are always waiting on the opposite side of what might appear to be our greatest defeat. In verse 3 of chapter 1, the king ordered the chief of his court to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family. The king needed trusted advisors. Courts in those days were filled with suspicion and betrayal. Kings were regularly poisoned or killed by those they trusted most. Nebuchadnezzar told the chief of his court, go and get a handful of men for a beauty contest. The strategy was to pick a few teenagers that would be indoctrinated into Babylon culture and give them new names, teach them Babylonian language, and the idea was to make Babylonians out of them. But what Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize was this was God's way of getting Daniel into Babylon. And I want to say to young people here today especially, is God uses the unique giftings and abilities that you have to infiltrate your culture. So when I go and do a faith day at the Oakland Coliseum every year, where after a ball game, I get up on the dugout and and the team I would travel with, we would do those feats of strength and thousands of fans would stay and we would bring the ball players up and they would share, the Christian ball players would share their testimonies of what Jesus has done in their life. And we'd give altar calls and we'd watch hundreds of people getting saved at a baseball game. This one particular year, I went back to the gym that weekend and the guy at the front desk was asking me how the day had gone, so I'm telling him how it went. Well, I went to get my workout and when I came out, 
I put my bag on top of the desk, and then another desk person walked over, and he handed me a phone book and said, I have to see you rip this. I thought to myself, oh, golly, I don't like when this stuff's all about me and just break something just to say, look, who I'm a big deal, because I'm not. And, but what I saw was the desk guy, the other one, came back over. Some sales girls came out of the desk, the, the, the sales office. Guys started coming over off the workout floor, and now we're having a revival meeting at the front desk at 24-Hour Fitness in Folsom. And so I took this big phone book, and I ripped it in half down the middle, and I handed it to Kayla, who was the desk girl. And then I looked at them, and I said, you know, you guys would be amazed where something as silly as ripping a phone book takes me with my life. They said, what do you mean? I said, well... Um, I go to Cambodia every year, and I get to rescue little children, and I began to share these stories, uh, stories of students I've met in high school, stories of inmates I've met in prisons, and now they're weeping at the front desk, and when I was finished, Kayla came over to me, and she, she looked at me, and she was one that said, she started rubbing her arm, she said, Dean, I'm feeling something I've never felt before, tell me what this is, I said, Kayla, you're experiencing the presence of God. I said, can I share the gospel with you? And she wiped away some tears. She said, yes. And I, I began to tell her how much God loved her, that he sent Jesus to come and to give his life for her. And, and, and Kayla, right there at the front desk at 24-Hour Fitness, gave her life to Jesus. The next day I came in, and Kayla was working the front desk, and Kayla yelled, Dean! I said, Kayla! And she said, Dean, I went home Yesterday, I told my older sister all your stories I could to the best of my ability, and my sister wants to know Jesus too. You never know what God will do with the giftings and the talents he's put inside of you, but we have to not be timid and afraid of using them. And in verse 4, we find the reason Daniel was chosen, young men without any physical defect, handsome showing appetite for all kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was a physical specimen. I, it was like Pastor Rob coming and walking in the door. And, 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 and girls, if you saw Daniel walk into your school, you would turn and say, I have found God's will for my life. The king wanted them to be ornaments in his palace so when emissaries would come from around the world, they would see them and they'd be impressed. And in verse 5 is the Babylonian program. They devised a training program to put him on. They could take Daniel to Babylon. He couldn't change that. They could teach him their language and educate him with their curriculum. They could even change his name. But when it came to the food he would eat and what he would drink, that's where the influence would stop. For Daniel to eat the meat and drink from his cup would mean he was breaking off his relationship and loyalty to God and aligning himself with the false god of Baal. Daniel wasn't going to focus on what he could not control. Daniel was going to focus on what he could control. And so in verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food. Daniel said no. Daniel decided in himself to say no. And the first sign of power in a young person's life is when you learn to say no. You're no longer this quivering mass of emotion. 
When you leave here and someone wants you to go out and get drunk, someone wants you to get high, someone wants you to give your body away to someone at school for their temporary gratification, you simply say no. And you'll never say no to anything until you have a reason to say no. I could take you to Vacaville and introduce you to Tommy. Tommy, after that school assembly, wrote me a letter and what he said is when I was six years old, a man put boxes in the back of the car, left the driveway, and I knew I would never see him again. He said that man was my father. For the next several years, him and his mom lived homeless on the streets of Oakland, bouncing from motel to motel until they landed there in Vacaville. Tommy became the biggest drug dealer on his high school campus, not because Tommy was trying to get money for a new car or save up for nice shoes, because Tommy was trying to bring home money for mom so she could put food on the table. And Tommy sat in that school assembly and he said, I made up a decision today. He said, I don't want to be this person anymore. Tommy went after that school assembly. He gave all the money back to the students who he'd collected for. Tommy went home, he flushed his drugs down the toilet, and he made a decision to start playing baseball again and get his grades up. Two years ago, Tommy graduated from high school, and he's now serving us in the United States Air Force. All because one young man made a decision to say no. One young man who wasn't afraid to take a stand. And I wonder, who's waiting on you today to take a stand in this world? I, I think about when you stand, the, the, the people you influence. I went into a prison yard for the first time in 2012. I went to Folsom Prison. I'd never been in prison in my life. I'd never been in trouble with the law in my life, and I was asked to go speak in prison. I was excited. It was a new environment. I went into Folsom Prison. I mean, it's like a movie set with the cobblestone and, and the history, and I, I'm kind of amped up to, to speak, and about 10 minutes before my time, I started to realize wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a hope guy. I, I'm, a, I'm a purpose and destiny guy. I love to encourage people that they're built for purpose, and I'm about to speak in a prison yard to people who are going to be behind walls for the rest of their life. Who am I? And I remember getting up on that platform, and when I looked out at those men, big and hard on the outside, but they're not hard, they're just scarred. And I saw in their eyes these little boys that got stung at a young age and just never had anybody there. Maybe a positive male role model would have come into their life and there would have been a change made. You know, I have a young man I reached recently in the past couple of years who was born and raised in Southern California. And if his dad would have been into music, he'd have picked up a guitar. If his dad would have been to sports, he'd have picked up a football, but instead his dad was a hardened gang member. And so for my friend growing up, his whole goal in life was to be a better gangster than his dad ever was. He would write those Roman numerals on the wall, not even know what they meant or what they were. But for him to end up in the penitentiary would have been like that Super Bowl, that NFL athlete attaining that Super Bowl ring. And that young man was throwing his life away and he came to a service I was doing two years ago and he heard about Jesus and he came to an altar, and he fell in my arms weeping. And Javier now has torched his rag two weeks after that, decided to exit that gang lifestyle. And Javier now travels with me, and I've taken him into school assemblies. I've had him stand before the Sacramento Rivercats, our minor league affiliate in Sacramento, and, and into the YA. And I watched as when I stood in before those athletes, they gave him a standing ovation. And we got out into my car in player parking. We were pulling out, and I turned, and I looked at Javier, and there was a tear running down his cheek. And I, 
I said, tell me what's happening, Hoff. He looked at me and he said, I matter. And I said, what? He said, I matter. And I realized what he was saying was at 30 years old, for the first time in his life, he realized he could do something good for people. And Javier is a trophy today of God's grace and what God can do. You never know what happens. Who's waiting on the other side of your storm? Who's waiting for you to take a stand? Young people, I want to say this. When you're tempted of the devil, don't compare what he offers you in the present, but weigh it against your future. We live in a technological society. We serve an agricultural God. The world says throw everything away for instant gratification. So when you're tempted, weigh it against the future. And verse 10 is why a lot of young people today won't get committed to Jesus. The official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And here's why so many young people today won't get committed. If I get fully committed to Jesus, I'll look bad. If I get committed, I'm going to be out of it. I'm going to be weird. I'm going to look worse. And in verse 12, Daniel says, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. See, God doesn't want you to just survive as a Christian. He wants you to triumph. And the big lie is eat what everyone else is eating and drinking. Watch and listen to and do what everyone else is doing. Compare to everyone else and you'll seem like you're out of it. You'll be sad, you'll be lonely, you'll be depressed, and you'll break your loyalty to God. Don't do it. And the world can try to get you to change your name and your way of thinking, but Daniel says no. Young ladies, the world caters to your need to be accepted through Seventeen Magazine, Cosmo, Twist, Maxim, J14, Sex Appeal, Clothes, Cosmetics, Movie Star, Look Like, Act Like, Instagram Filters, Computer Generated. A lot of these CoverGirl models are the product of an airbrush. And they're getting you to want to look like these women who don't even exist. It's an unrealistic expectation being put on you. The world is telling you what you have to live up to. So when I go into Modesto High School and I sit with Ashley as a sophomore on a bleacher, and she tells me she wore her nicest dress to school, I said, well, you look beautiful, Ashley. She said, said, Dean, don't you want to know why I got so dressed up? I said, tell me. Ashley said, because today I'm going to go home and I'm going to take my life. And I wanted to hear somebody tell me I was pretty my last day at school. I got to spend 20 minutes on a bleacher at Modesto High School with this young lady. And she pulled a note out of her backpack she had already written and handed me the pill bottles she was going to use. And said, Dean, for the first time, I want to live. We connected her to the youth group in the area, and Ashley, a couple of years back, went on her first missions, missions trip, and she's doing one in Modesto, all because someone was willing to take a stand. Someone was willing to have a backbone. Men, I'm going to tell you right now, I had a man tell me in a church, my wife won't let me lead her. I said, give her something worth following. Men, it's time to take your rightful place in this world. You are kings and priests. The royal blood of Jesus flows through your veins. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work inside of you to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to see people saved. 
and we throw it away with, with mundane living. And what I'm saying is, I'm calling on men. God himself is raising up men that are unashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of what Jesus has done for me. Men, the world tells you we have to show a sense of independence, a sense of power, macho, hard, and that's not true. God doesn't work in an atmosphere of independence. Real men open doors for young ladies. Real men watch their language around the opposite sex. Real men know how to pray, and real men love God. And what Daniel was saying is, you do it the world's way, we'll do it our way, and we'll see who comes out looking better. And in Daniel 1.15, the Bible says at the end of the 10 days, he looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. God always wins. God promotes. Daniel 1.17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And we move now into Daniel 3 as we get ready to close. And Rob in the band, if you can come and just play something softly. We don't have to get elaborate, just something soft. But Daniel 3. You know, I'm thinking of Rusty right now. Rusty was uh, when I was in that prison yard and I, I looked out and I saw those men. I, I shared that day through all my tears. And... Uh, I came off the platform and I walked out into the center yard and Rusty came and met me. Rusty was about six foot seven, about 350 pounds, a big biker dude with a long beard and dark glasses and a wife beater on, all tatted up. And he came and stopped me in the yard and he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. I said, yeah. Yes, whatever you would like, Rusty. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve. Rusty said, uh, he said, when you were speaking today, I felt like you cared about me. And I thought, gosh, was that of anything any pastor or Christian leader has ever said to me? I'll take what Rusty said, a, a biker dude in Folsom Prison says, when you were speaking, I felt like you cared about me. Rusty was in there on a life sentence. He said he'd been in there 42 years He's on a life sentence. He's never getting out. He said, uh, Dean, I've done despicable things with my life. He said, I killed a cop, and I've done horrific things, and only in this past year, for the first time in my life, I've been wondering, would God want anything to do with me? I looked at Rusty. I said, no, he doesn't. He looked down at me. I said, Rusty, he doesn't want something to do with you. He wants everything to do with you. And I asked him, I said, Rusty, can I introduce you to Jesus today? And he allowed me. I began to pray with Rusty. And I'll never forget, I prayed with my eyes closed that day. And when I, when I looked up, I saw coming out from one of those dark glasses just floods of tears. It was like he couldn't even stop them from coming. And I, I thought, man, this man has probably not shed a tear in 40 years. And one moment, in the presence of God, in the middle of a dirt field, in Folsom Prison, and he met with Jesus. And Rusty's heart became that that didn't have to be a prison yard. It could become a harvest field for souls. And I told Rusty, I said, the Bible says the gospel has to be preached to all four corners of the earth. I said, Rusty, this is one of those corners. 
and I think you're just the man for the job. Rusty stuck his chest out a little bit. In Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar has erected a 90-foot-tall gold statue of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego receive a letter that you're cordially invited to Babylonian Day on the Green. Every major rock star is going to be there playing. Drake is opening. Katy Perry, T.I., Usher, Adam Levine. Eminem is pulled out of retirement. They are all there scheduled to perform. It says you're cordially invited to this event. And Nebuchadnezzar commanded all the leaders and citizens to bow and worship the image when the sound of music begins to play. And there was a PS at the end of the letter. It said, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. Guys, what are we going to do? It's dedication day. The plains of Durham were covered with an endless sea of people. The massive gold statue was shimmering in the summer heat. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego arrive, they're standing in the back. See in the theater of your mind all the political leaders, governors, city officials. They're all there jockeying for position. God is watching. Jesus is at his right hand, and the devil's getting nervous. Anytime a young person takes a stand for Jesus, the devil always gets nervous. And the music began to play. And the people began to bow bowing to the false gods of this world, the gods of pleasure, pride, and prosperity. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season, but it is a blast that doesn't last. The Bible says pride comes before the fall. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Money will not satisfy the deep things of your heart. And if you choose to place your hope today in money, it will fail you. Money can buy you a clock. It won't buy you time. Money can buy blood, it doesn't give life. Money can buy you a bed, it won't buy you rest. Money can buy you sex, it doesn't make it a relationship. Money can buy a diamond ring and a fur coat, it won't buy you the love and affection of a husband. Men, money can buy you a power suit and a Rolex watch, but it will not buy you respect. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing, and the people are bowing, and now they're looking at one another. Three teenagers making a decision, and they're hearing two voices. You ever hear two voices sometimes when you have a a, a big decision to make? They can sound so similar, and yet they're so very different. And one voice is saying, common. And then there's this other voice saying, uncommon. And they're hearing common. And then they're hearing uncommon. Guys, what are we going to do? I I don't think I want to bow. They say if we don't bow, we're going to burn. I think I'm going to stand. Are you going to stand? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow man? I've tried putting my hope in man my whole life. And he's failed me. God's never left me yet. I don't believe he's taken me this far to leave me now. I think I'm going to stand. And as they're standing and the people are bowing, I can just see one of them looking up and asking, "Why, why are you standing? Wrong question. Why are you bowing? 
why are you still a virgin? Why are you giving your life away to people who don't even care about you? When I go into a public school and their teachers are telling me, here's a condom, here's a pill, go be safe. What's so safe about hiding my hopes, my dreams, my futures behind a condom or a pill that can't protect me from the emotional scars of a broken heart? Why aren't you doing drugs? Why are you blowing your mind with substances that cause you to become a person that even you don't like? You know the price you pay for living for your reputation among men is that everybody likes you except for you. Tolerance says you must approve of what I do. Love says I will love you even when your behavior offends me. You must agree with me. I'll do something even harder. I'll tell you the truth. You must allow me to have my way. I'll plead with you to follow the right way. Nobody's going to like you if you stand. Nobody's going to respect you if you bow. And three teenagers, of all that were there, the thousands of people took their stand. Word got back to the king. He called for the teenagers to be brought to him. And when they came, the king said, I heard you aren't bowing. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. And if you don't bow, I'm throwing you in that furnace. They looked at him, said, king, we respect your authority. And we don't mean to dishonor you. But we're going to serve our God. And we're going to believe that our God, even if you throw us in that fire, he is well able to deliver us from that fire. I mean, you talk about taking a stand. Three teenagers taking a bold stand. I mean, that's like you walking in to the president's office or the principal's office at school and saying, principal, we need to make a change on our campus. And, and all the ridicule that's going to come with that and all the students that are going to try to bash you and put you down, but you have to weigh it out. And am I going to be common or am I going to be uncommon? Am I going to be like everybody else? I'm going to live a life worth living. And the king commands his soldier to throw those boys in the fire. I can imagine Jesus seated next to the father and he looks to him and he says, is it my time to go yet? And then the father is like, yeah, go help him out. And when those boys got through tumbling through that furnace, I imagine they stood up and they saw Jesus standing there with a pitcher of iced tea and some cold treats from Starbucks. Like, hey boys, how you doing? You having a good day? You thirsty? And time passed and the king didn't smell anything cooking and he ordered his Roman guard to go check on what was happening and, and the guard came to the furnace and he said, are they in there? And, and the, the soldier said, yeah, I see them right here. They're, there they are, one, two, three, four. King, there's four in the furnace. That's ludicrous. Count it again. One, two, three, four. King, there's four. 
Who's the fourth man in the fire? Who's the fourth man in the fire? He's Adam's creator. He's Eve's promise. He's Abel's sacrifice. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Abraham's ram. He's Isaac's well. He's Jacob's ladder. He's Moses' rod. He's Gideon's feast. Who is the fourth man in the fire? I'm glad you asked because he's Samuel's horn of oil. He's David's slingshot. He's Hezekiah's extension of life. He's Joseph's dream. He's Peter's healing shadow. He's Samson's strength. He's John's pearly white city. He's the pearl of great price. He's a rock in a weary land. He is the prince of peace, Enoch's companion, Rahab's salvation, Joshua's captain by the walls. Who is the fourth man in the fire? He's Solomon's wisdom. He's Nehemiah's joy. He's Deborah's song. He is Drew's kinsman redeemer. He's Jeremiah's righteous branch. He's Joel's restorer of wasted years. He's Peter's shadow, Paul's crown of righteousness. He's John the revelator's faithful and true witness. He's a rock in the wilderness joy and sorrow. He's my fortress, my shield, my buckler. He's our hope. He is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. He's the bright and the morning star. He's the rose of Sharon, and he's the lily in the valley. He's the bread of heaven, and he's the water of life. He's shelter from our storm. He's peace that transcends understanding. He's the bridegroom ready to appear. He is the hope of our hearts, the sacrifice for our sins. He is my deliverer, my joy, my father, and most of all, he's my best friend. The king ordered him to be pulled out when they weren't smelling. When they came out, the Bible says they didn't even have the smell of smoke upon them. I can't even go to Denny's and get a pancake without smelling like smoke. And the king, seeing that they came out just as God said they would come out, put out a new decree. And this new decree said from this day forward, the people of my nation will serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was a P.S. at the end of this letter as well. And the end of this P.S., it said, If you don't serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will cut you up into little pieces, and I'll throw you in the fire. Now, I've given some big altars in some really unique situations. I have never threatened that if you don't accept Jesus, I'm going to chop you up in little pieces and throw you in a fire. But I'm going to tell you, when you take a stand for God, the world will start to give altar calls for you. I can tell you because I was picked up in an airport in Los Angeles a few years ago. The driver, I began talking with him. He asked me what I do, and I told him, and all the way to the event, I'm telling about my relationship with Jesus, and he's fascinated being raised in the church now in his 50s, and he says, I've never heard about this relationship you have with God. When I left the event the next day, he took me back to the airport. He said, Dean, I drive famous people all over L.A. all the time. He said, yesterday after I dropped you off, I picked up T.I.'s mom. He said, the entire drive, I was telling her about your relationship with Jesus. And 
I still can't get over the difference between that relationship and what I've known as religion. See, that limousine driver was giving an altar call to a singer's mom and didn't even realize it. Didn't even know Jesus yet for himself, but he knew what he wanted. By the end of my ride, he was right with God and had a new beginning. There's good news and bad news today. Bad news is those who make bold stands for the word of God will be tried by fire. The good news is when you walk through fire, fire won't burn you. You only get to walk around in furnaces with God if you stand. You'll only stand if you choose to be uncommon. Why did so many bow? Because they didn't have a God worth standing for. Two types of people in this room this morning. Uncommon people who are standing in honor of God. And common people who are bowing on their faces to the gods of this world. On that day, there were a lot of people that went home with dirt on their face, footprints on their shoulders, because three teenagers chose to take a stand, and they walked across all of them to get to their destiny, and an entire nation was changed. How much more can we change here in Albany if we simply choose to stand? Speaking of stand, would you stand with me if you're physically able? I'm going to ask this question because there's not anywhere that I go, whether it's in a church, in a prison yard, in a locker room, that I don't ask this question. See, to make a long story short, life taught me early on that life is pain and pain is life, and I better just get used to it. By the time I was an eight-year-old, I, I decided that there wasn't much for me. Being raised with no dad my whole life and a single mom that did all she could with all she had, but we lived before the poverty line. We didn't have much. By the time I was in middle school and high school, I quit on life. I quit on my sport. I quit on my academics, and I just existed. When I got in my senior year in high school, I went into a weight room for the first time, and I picked up some steel, and I liked it. And I started working out. I didn't work out by that time for sports anymore. I didn't work out for the girls even. I worked out for one reason, to build my back arm so big that when I hit someone, they were going to feel my pain. And when I got out of high school, barely graduating, I made a decision. I'm going to go out in this world. I'm going to get everything that I never got to have growing up. Everything that the world promises to satisfy me. I didn't have a church upbringing. I didn't have any kind of religion. And I went out and I started making money. I was attaining cars. I had two nice cars. I had three closets full of clothes. I, I was out at the clubs four nights a week getting attention from all the girls. And one night at a gym, a man approached me and said, I want you to come start bouncing for me. I'm open to the biggest nightclub in California. I want you to bounce. I said, why would I want to do that? I don't need your money. He said, yeah, but you'll get to hit people and not get in trouble for it. And that sounded like a good deal to me. And there at that club of all places, I looked across and I saw a bartender with big blonde hair and blue eyes, much like Moses with the burning bush. She made me say, this I've got to see. I took her to a lunch and at that lunch, she asked me the question no one ever asked me before. And I sometimes wonder where were all the Christians? Did they not care enough? to bother asking me, but she asked me a question I didn't expect from a bartender. She said, do you believe in God? And my response was, I'm going to offend you if I answer that. She said, you won't offend me. I said, I think the Bible is a book of fables that teaches you right from wrong, and I don't want anything to do with it. What was really in my heart that I didn't have the courage to say was, if God's so good, where is he and bad things happen to good people? 
If God's so good, why'd my dad die two days before my first birthday? If he's good, why do I have to watch as a little boy my mom go to a neighbor and borrow $1.25 to go to the store and buy milk and come home and pour on my cereal and call it dinner? He might be good to you, but he sure doesn't seem to care about me, and I don't want nothing to do with him. But I wanted that girl. And after three weeks would come and go, and it wasn't moving fast enough with her for me, I had the bright idea, and hopefully I get some support today from some men, but I had the bright idea that I would invite her to church, and that would impress her. I was sharing this in a women's facility and women's prison, and when I said that, a lady stood up on her chair, and she said, oh, no, you didn't. I said, oh, yes, I did. I was living on Dead End Street. My house address was zero. On the outside, I had it all going on, but on the inside, I was broken. I was frustrated because I thought, what do you do when you get everything this world has promised to satisfy you and you're still miserable? And if I can take you back there for a moment as we close, you could join me October 20th, 2004 at 702 Atlantic Street in Roseville, California. At 8.30 p.m., I walked into a church for the first time in my life. And I sat in the back because I didn't feel very important. And I didn't really like who I was. And I sat there to do my time. But God is so faithful and good because he knew it wasn't just a cute girl it would take to get me into the building. He knew I needed to see somebody that I could respect. Somebody that wasn't standing up in a three-piece suit using Bible theology to make my mess of a life make sense. And that night a team of athletes came running down the aisle wearing sweatsuits and they started breaking baseball bats and breaking concrete with their forms and they caught my attention. And when they began to share, they were simply sharing their stories. And I'm so grateful, Wes, that they shared about a man named Jesus who died for me. And the first thought I had was all these so-called friends, all these years that I give my life to, I don't know one person who would live for me. And this dude died for me. That's someone I want to know. He seems like someone that would spend time with me. I still today can imagine if Jesus were walking, he'd join me at the gym and we'd get some sets on a weight bench and we'd sit down and open up our word and he'd drop some nuggets on me and we'd get back to working out. That's the Jesus I know. You know, I, I stood... In my backyard as a little boy, I loved baseball, and I would throw a ball against a brick wall every day for hours. I'd put an X on that wall. And if I was honest, as a little boy, there was a time early on when I wondered what it'd be like to have a dad that would play catch and throw it back to me, but instead I was throwing it against a wall, and it would bounce back. You know, the night I met Jesus, I remember thinking, this is someone who played catch with me. He changed my life. They said, if you want to know Jesus, you need to come to the front. I didn't know what that meant or what that was. I wasn't a little boy. I was a grown man. I was 6'2", 240 pounds, and I stood up, and I took a long walk down an aisle, and I got to the front, and I spoke to a God I didn't know, and I asked him to do something I didn't even believe he could do. And I said, God, if you're real, will you please do something with my life? And the moment I said that, I heard a voice that I had never heard before. It was powerful, but it was so gentle, and it said, one day, you're going to travel this nation with that team and you're gonna impact the lives of young people, not to have to experience your pain. That night I didn't receive a religion or a church, I met a person named Jesus and he saved me 
and he filled me and he gave me a purpose. And five years later, that same team contacted me. I've never told anybody what I heard in my heart that night. And that team contacted me and said, we've heard about you and we want you to start traveling with us. And then I started doing those school assemblies, being able to inspire young people all over. You're here today and you've never met Jesus. Listen, I could, I could persuade you into raising your hand today. I could rile you up into a decision that's false and phony. I don't want to do that today. But you're here and you've either met Jesus or you haven't. There is no fine line. There is no in between. It's just one or the other. And there is no condemnation in this place. But I believe there are people under the sound of my voice that you come here every week and you don't know Jesus. You come here every week wanting to be inspired, wanting to be encouraged. But, but Jesus died to give you more than a moment of inspiration or, or a little bit of encouragement and a pat on the back. He died so he could come alive inside of you. So the Holy Spirit could explode in you and completely possess your life and take you over and give you a purpose and a plan and you're here and you've never received that and today you need to with your heads up and your eyes looking around Jesus didn't call people to himself privately he called them publicly and so today I'm calling if you're here Jesus Christ didn't come to take away my fun he came and he took away my pain and today he's ready to take away your pain your frustrations your stresses your anxieties your fears he'll take it all away in one moment just like he did for me but you have to give him the permission he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks hoping that you'll let him in in the balcony or down below you need to let him in today if that's you in a bold step in a very bold step, because if you won't stand in a place like this, you're not going to stand in a world that's going to be pulling against you. So I'm going to count to three. And if you need to know Jesus, I want you not to raise your hand. I want you to take that long walk that I took, not to embarrass you, but to empower you today to take a stand for Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of you. One, two, three, all over this place. If you need to know Jesus, just come from the top to the back, to the sides, to the front. You might have to say, excuse me to your neighbor, but I need to get up there. Some of you need to not give two cents of anything anymore. What people think about you and your image, your image is not impressive to God. Your image does not impress God. God did not die for your reputation, for what man thinks of you. God died for your soul. And some of you today, I believe under the sound of my voice, your soul is on the line right now. Some of you have been dabbling, men, some of you men in here, you've been dabbling down a road, looking at some things that are gonna lead you astray in your marriage. Some of you have been looking at stuff and already started that, that physical talking of a relationship with somebody. That can be broken today and nobody will ever know the more of it. But I'm telling you right now, you don't repent in private. God is going to reveal you in public. And God has grace and he has mercy for us to get it right. I'm encouraging men today. I don't want you to come on that call. But what I'm saying is in your heart right now, lift your heart to Jesus right now and let him heal that thing so you can be the man, the husband, the father that he's called you to be. Young people, you come to church. Listen, whether you want to respond today to Jesus, if you never have or not, that's between you and God. I don't talk anybody into Jesus. Jesus is bad. Jesus is too good. He is too cool. He is too powerful for me to have to convince somebody to want him. You don't try Jesus. You try non-fat ice cream. But young people, I'm going to tell you right now, where's all the young people? We got some up here. Any up, any up top? We got a couple up top. Any in the back? Okay. Listen to me real good. Personal opinion about to be shared right now. I believe the most miserable life a person could ever live is to have been exposed to the things of God and rejected Jesus. 
I'm going to tell you why. Because you have, you've heard all the rules and all the standards, but you haven't surrendered to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to live by them. And you fall into a something we call religion. And you fall into self-righteousness. Some adults in here need to hear this this morning. You're falling into self-righteousness. What does that mean? It simply means your boasting is in yourself. If I were to come and ask you individually, if you're a Christian today, a lot of you would say, I go to church. Some would say, I give to charitable causes. Others might say, I serve every week at the homeless. What if Jesus didn't die for any of that? What if he didn't die for us to keep a standard and be good? But he died for us to come alive. My life didn't come in obedience to fear or to standards or to rules. I don't follow any rules. The Holy Spirit is a rule breaker, as a matter of fact. That's why religious people can't be in God's presence, because they run. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't conform to religion. That's why Jesus was rejected by religious leaders. That's, think about this. Religious people killed Jesus. Is there anyone here today? You need to surrender your heart to Jesus. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to go. Okay, God, I pray right now that the one that's here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that maybe they're timid to come, but God, I pray right now they would lift their heart up to you. God, you can save them right where they're seated, right where they're standing. I pray they would have an encounter and experience with your love that's undeniable. I pray they would hear your voice just like I did. You said that we're your sheep and you're our shepherd. Your voice we will hear and the voice of a stranger we will not follow. I thank you, God, that you would speak to them God, speak to us as we walk through our day. Speak to us when we sleep at night with visions and dreams. Speak to us when we get up, God, and use us, God. I pray that every person in this place would have a passion burning inside of themselves from this moment forward to share their testimony with people, to take a stand in this world. I pray this church would be overflowing and, 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 and just overflowing with people just next week because we would be out all week living the life you've created us to live. God, walking in the power that you've made available to us to walk in. God, for the man that's here that's, that's struggling in that area of his marriage, I, I pray for, God, first of all, that he would feel your love today. God, that he would experience your touch. God, I pray the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be on him. I pray he would not only cut that thing off, but he would run from it in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that your grace covers him. I thank you, God, that it will never have to be brought up. It'll never be brought out. And God, that he would experience a new freedom that he's never even felt before. Jesus, you said you came to set us free. And that includes freedom from ourselves, God, freedom from religion. So Lord, let's have one more song, Whatever, whatever's on your heart. And God, in this last song, I pray you would do something with our hearts, something new that we would leave here today. Not stirred up, but changed. Not because we met with a man, but God, we met with you. In Jesus' name, amen.